Welcome to Talk Innovation, the EPO podcast. I'm Regula von Ekelkraut-Kotanka, Team Manager at the EPO. You are listening to the latest podcast in our Inventors Revisited series. In each episode, we chat to former European Inventor Award alumni, find out about their latest work and hear their views on innovation trends. Today, I'm joined by the Swedish entrepreneurs John Elvisieux and Morten Skogel, who were finalists at the European Inventor Award in the Small and Medium Enterprises category in 2015. They invented eye-tracking technology and founded the world's leading eye-tracking company, Tobi. Eye-tracking technology offers the possibility of communication for people with disabilities who are unable to speak and write. And it also allows researchers and businesses studying human behavior. Besides, eye-tracking technology is also integrated in customer devices such as notebooks, monitors and VR. It's a great pleasure, John and Morten, to have you with us today. Thank you very much for taking time to talk about your really successful and impressive entrepreneurial career. Thank you. It's great to be here. Thank you. As most of our listeners are probably not familiar with the technology, can you please explain what is eye tracking and how does it work? Yeah, it's a, a sensor technology that uh, utilizes uh, near-infrared uh, illumination and uh, CMOS technology for detecting the location of your eyes and the direction of the eyes to determine what your eyes are actually pointing at, which is the area that you are looking at pretty much. The eye has a, a very small portion, the fovea, which is high resolution. So it's by knowing in what direction the eye points, you can very precisely know where a person is looking. So that's the basis for the technology. I think the, 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 the idea with eye tracking is really to, to give machines, phones, cars, laptops, whatever it could be, uh, the possibility of knowing where you are and, and what you're looking at. Uh, and, and this is a remote technology. So the, the sensors, um, they can be integrated into things. Um, you, you don't have to wear them. You don't have to see them. They can be integrated on a distance, but very much like humans, and animals uh, can determine where another person is looking. Um, these uh, near-infrared assisted um, sensors can do the same thing, but much faster and with greater precision, of course. And, and that creates uh, for, the, uh, for, for smarter machines, basically. What makes the technology you invented so unique? Yeah, it, it's, it's a very fundamental technology in that sense that you can use it for so many things. So Toby stems out of the, the core technology development behind this, this capability for machines. So um, when a machine knows where you're looking, of course you can point and choose, but you can also use it to analyze what you are paying attention to. What Have you seen the warning? Uh, what ice cream do you like the most on the poster or, or anything in between? So, yeah, it can be really integrated in so many different applications. And, and I think that's, that's kind of one of the most fascinating things about this, this innovation. The uh, technology has matured over two decades and it's now at the level where it's, uh, where it's actually available in the regular consumer devices. Uh, still only in, in the re real high-end devices, but uh, over time, this, this is technology that will be 
pretty much everywhere. I mean, eye contact is quite fundamental for human communication. And uh, now that the technology actually works and is available, it's uh, something that, uh, of course, will be available in, in most electronic devices over time. Nowadays, uh, you use the eye tracking technology for different fields. What is your technology used for the most these days? So uh, on Toby's side, the most mature area is communication devices for individuals with special needs. Uh, and that's an area that was when we entered into it some 15 years ago. Uh, eye tracking was seen as something quite obscure and challenging to use. Uh, but now it's available for everyone and it's a technology that uh, is well known to work well. And now it's uh, working even for uh, people in wheelchairs outside in sunny days. So the technology has matured into a level where it's also, from a, a technology perspective, uh, well functioning for pretty much anyone. Uh, and, and that has allowed us to also enter into regular consumer electronic devices. Uh, so that's a step that uh, that was taken fairly recently and uh, is still at the, uh, an early stage, but, uh, but growing. So part of the reason we are talking now is that back in 2015, you were nominated for the European Inventor Award in the small and medium enterprises category. Do you remember what did this mean to you? And another question would be, uh, did it open any doors? Well, of course, it's it's a it's a great honor and uh, also a lot of fun, of course, um, with uh, the gathering of really great entrepreneurs and innovators. So that was, of course, a great thing for us. I think personally, I appreciate uh, this nomination a lot since EPR really deals with genuine innovations and and, and patents. So a lot of startups and entrepreneurs they have more business model innovations. Uh, I don't mean that they are lesser innovations, but coming from a hard technology perspective and uh, fighting hard to show the difference between a fundamental technology and the uh, a business model innovation, the the nomination from EPR really puts the finger on that. So it's it was a very good way for us to illustrate the difference between Toby and other startup. Also in the context that these type of hardware components and, and, and deep tech uh, innovations, they uh, require more funding sometimes. Uh, they come with other types of both challenges, but also opportunities. So it was important for us to kind of get this, this uh, uh, nomination from, from EPR to, to illustrate that. And we, I mean, we've had a lot of focus on patents and patent strategies from day one. It was really already when we started off the company, we saw that this was technology that would over time actually enter into consumer devices. And we realized that having a really strong patent portfolio would be crucial to be able to actually create a sustainable business over time towards consumer electronics applications. This nomination was, uh, was a sign that it was also being seen. Today, both of you are advising new companies coming up. Morten at Industriefonden, a venture capital fund by the Swedish government. And you, John, founded a Stockholm-based venture capital firm named Brightly Ventures. Was it the logical step to change sites? <laughs> yeah, or, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> so. Go ahead, Morten. 
Yeah, I think it's pretty logical to try to use that experience and and help other young startups and also get into that and see see how young entrepreneurs and less experienced entrepreneurs try to create their businesses and start their companies. I think it's a lot of fun to be in that environment and and try to apply what I've experienced over the last years and and actually help others. So yeah, for me, it was a, a very logical step. Well, you are both role models, I would say, uh, but as a role model for all those startups out there, what is the biggest challenge for a startup in the beginning? Well, that would be uh, to uh, to find your right co-founders and, and right colleagues, mm. for sure. Uh, if if you do that right, uh, you, you more or less can't fail, and if you do it wrong, you, you can't uh, succeed um so i think that that's the biggest thing i think any startup will go through a lot of challenges uh most of the most successful startups they've actually they've had days when it was close to failing so you definitely need a bit of luck alongside with a lot of persistence and and, and stamina but having good people around you is really the key to providing for good decisions uh, the stamina the energy you know, persevere when, when others fail. And where did you find them? <laughs> yeah. In my, in my, my case, it was uh, one person I had worked with and was extremely impressed by. He was actually uh, on the early uh, stage of a, of, a, of a strong career. So having getting him to give that up to, to join a startup was, was difficult, but uh, eventually I, I got him. Uh, and then... Uh, uh, on the more technical side, just finding the the most clever person at my university. I was a analytical and methodical uh, process, and uh, it led me to Morton. So, with Henrik and Morton on the team of, of founding Toby, I I knew we couldn't fail. <laughs> and you were right. <laughs> well, in, yeah, in many ways, I. I there's been days when I wish we would have uh, attacked a, a simpler technology and a simpler problem because the operational um, aspects of the company has always been excellent. So uh, we've been held back by the technology and the market sometimes uh, whilst having a lot of operational uh, capabilities. So, But it's done well. How do you advise new companies when it comes to patents or intellectual property. Do you tell young entrepreneurs to file patents? Definitely. I mean, whenever you have a company with a technical innovation and something that you believe can be protected by patents, I, I think it's important to apply for them, especially if it's a company going for like a larger international market. So in general, I try to advise companies to start looking at patents and, and creating a, a patent strategy quite early on. Do you teach them how to do it? Yeah, I mean, there are many ways of doing it, but uh, I think uh, within Toby, we've uh, uh, the the strategy, the patent strategy has evolved over twenty years, and I think uh, we uh, we know a lot more now than we did back then. So, and it's easy to not really do it the best way. I think getting a bit of help and guidance from, from people who have been around for a while is uh, quite valuable. At an European parliamentary event in Brussels in 2019, uh, EPO chief economist Jan Menier 
emphasized the prominent role of IP rights intensive industries for the EU economy. And with one fifth of all European patent applications in Europe being filed by small and medium sized enterprises. But he also pointed out that these smaller businesses apply a holistic approach to patent uses and successfully commercialize up to two thirds of them. But of course, SMEs also face challenges, including a lack of IP expertise, as you just mentioned, and the need to find partners to support their commercialization. Do you recognize yourself in these statements? Yeah, I think uh, younger small companies, we, we have to be more prudent in spending. So uh, it's natural that um, the, the, the patents filed um, would be on, on uh, innovations more likely to be used than commercialized. Uh, I feel that there is, there's a bit of a trend in certain sectors to neglect patents uh, just due to the, uh, to the difficulties and the costs involved. Uh, and this, I think, could have quite some negative effects because the, the, the general idea of, of, a, of a patent from a societal Point of point of view is really to to enable investments uh, and, and by protection. So um, when companies don't do those long term investments because they they can't they don't have the knowledge to protect them, it is really a problem. So I really try to guide and advise uh, all the companies I meet, and especially the companies we invest in, to really look over their their ip strategy knowing just kind of figuring out what to file when to file and 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 really how to use the ip strategy for their future value creation now that brings us already to my last question for both of you so you already founded a very successful international company and i heard Martin is father of six children and I, I have two and I would say that parenting is already a 24-7 job. So what else would you like to reach in your lifetime? <laughs> yeah, you want to start, Martin? <laughs> no, you go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think there's a common myth that um, entrepreneurs are the type of people that always know very clearly what they want uh, and they just go after it. And in, in my case, that has not been the, uh, uh, the case. I, I've been driven by my, my passion. Uh, I, I have a passion for investing. I have a passion for technology and developing uh, products and playing around with technology for example so so it's just staying on what i'm passionate about um and that's that's what i intend to do going forward um it's it's never about money it's never about fame it's very seldom um with a clear plan it's it's more following your dreams and 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 just standing strong in 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 certain a certain conviction that if I'm not passionate about it, I shouldn't spend my life doing it. I think that was a, a very good description. I, I I want to do things that are fun, and uh, yeah, I have six kids, so I'm, I'm I of course want to have some time with my family and have a good time there, but. I will uh, probably continue to work uh, until I'm quite old because I think it's a lot of fun. And uh, 
uh, I want to want to be in areas where I'm passionate and where I feel that I'm part of something bigger. Uh, I wish you all the best and I hope you can really lift your dream. And I'm sure you will hear more about Swedish super startups in the near future. So thank you very much for sharing your time and experience, John and Morten. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much. Likewise. Yeah, thank you. Well, that brings us to a close, really. So thanks again to both of you. And thanks to our listeners for listening to Inventors Revisited on Talk Innovation, the EPO podcast. You can stream or download these podcasts from epo.org or listen via your favorite podcast app. I hope you will join us again for an upcoming episode. <music>